0: Women who, misbehave.
1: women who misbehave a podcast about the intersections of pop culture the political the personal and even the spiritual we're your hosts betsy aimit and linda garcia welcome back to women who misbehave
0: hi linda how are you doing
1: I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here.
0: Episode number five.
1: Already. How are you feeling after we all grow?
0: I'm feeling really good. The week after is always really inspiring and a really good week to set goals and intentions. And uh, it's always a great way to kick off Women's History Month. With
1: that being said, I just want to give a really quick shout out to Patty Rodriguez. She killed it at We All Grow Summit. She had a speech that was extremely inspiring. It was funny. It made me cry. I'm sure there will be a YouTube video on this speech and I want everybody to watch it. We'll link it in the show notes.
0: There wasn't a dry eye in the house. I mean, really? And she talked about imposter syndrome. Maybe one day we can have her on to talk about that. I think it's something that... Is important
1: for those of you that don't know patty rodriguez she's the creator of little libros bilingual books she also has a jewelry line and on top of that she's senior producer for ryan seacrest in the morning what did you accomplish this week betsy
0: this week um we got a new wedding venue what so that's exciting i bought a bride magazine for the first time i don't feel like a bride. But um, I'm channeling that. Um, but I'm really excited about that. And then I also, um, speaking of wedding planning and things I have to do this year, I also let go of something. Before we started the podcast, I had uh, signed up to do a column for a new site that was focusing on politics. And I actually had to tell the editor that I could no longer do the column. Since taking it on, we started the podcast. The work with my clients has picked up, which is great. I'm heading into a really busy season producing an event. So I just had to stop feeling guilty and kind of berating myself for not being able to do it all. And I also thought that maybe for another person, they would really take this on with more... Bigger?
1: I think that's great. I think it ties into last week's episode about paying it forward. Sometimes we attract projects that we need that serve us in the beginning, but then after time goes by, it no longer serves us. So I'm glad that you were able to recognize that and you released it, giving someone else the opportunity to work on the project and have that project bring them joy.
0: Yeah I felt really bad because last week at We All Grow I got an email from the editor and the piece was due on Wednesday and it was Friday and I hadn't yet done it and it's not really in my nature to not keep commitments but it was just getting really hard to manage and I think that's a struggle for a lot of us who want to take on as much as we can and help out as much as we can and be hyper productive But also balance it with self-care and being with our families. I had also been working on this really big piece for like my first print piece. And so it had just become really hard. I feel good about it. And one of the things I'm learning is to kind of let my intuition guide me. There was a, a, a release when I told them I couldn't do it anymore. But on that note, I did send a note, not just to the editor, but to the person who sought me out for the opportunity, which is important to like cross your you know, I's and T's when it comes to that and really, you know, letting people know when when you decide to make these changes. Did you let go of anything this week?
1: I let go of so much this week. I read the book The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. I read it in December, but I didn't take any action. I got it on Audible, and I listened to it, and I just felt like Marie Kondo was a little too self-centered. I was actually just resisting her message, so I was finding things that I disliked about her instead of really taking in her message. So I decided to re-listen to it again, and I began to accept her method. She has a very simple method, which is you only keep what brings you joy. So I started with my clothes, um, and my shoes, which is what she recommends you start with. So I purged a ton of shoes and a ton of clothes. Then I began to organize my closet from dark to light because it's supposed to produce positive energy. And then with each color coded section, you organize it from not only light to dark, but from length. So longest to shortest, and that is supposed to create an arrow that moves up towards the right, which actually generates positive energy when you look at it. Now, when I first heard this, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a bunch of bullshit. But actually, every time I walk in my closet, I understand what she means. It's almost like you feel lighter, like you feel much more inspired to go into your closet and pick out an outfit.
0: Can you show us on InstaStory?
1: Yes, absolutely. I'll definitely share. I think it's really interesting like what I learned from all of this. And the biggest takeaway is only keep what brings you joy. So just to give you a quick example, I had all of my shoes protected in these plastic shoes bins that you can find at like the container store for years I've done that when we got our dog and he was a puppy he began to chew those boxes and I felt bad throwing them away because I felt like that was being wasteful just because they were chewed they could still close and they were still functional so I kept my shoes in those bins every time I went to go grab a shoe and I would see where he chewed them my heart would clench in anger. It was almost like I would relive that moment when I was so upset when I came home and found the boxes chewed. So I decided to purge all of the boxes. I thanked them for serving me for the time that they did because I was also poor growing up. So I have like issues dealing with getting rid of things. And I displayed my shoes without the bins and I can't explain How much happier I am. It's just so interesting how all of the things that surround us and all of the things that we live with can create anger and joy. So right now I'm just doing my closet. I haven't moved to other areas of the house. I will eventually. Hopefully I get it done by the beginning of spring. So we'll see how that goes.
0: That's true. If you have an hour to organize your closet, do that. Don't then go focus on the other areas of the house because then you'll drive yourself crazy, which is what I do.
1: That's funny you say that because that's actually part of her message. She has an order for you to begin organizing in. So eventually I'll move into other
0: parts of the house. I've actually been doing not Marie Kondo, but I've been doing a capsule wardrobe. So I've been wearing the same clothes, the same 40 items since January, except for we all grow. And for when we did our podcast launch, I haven't really bought anything and it's been working well for me. I've watched
1: your Insta story um, on your capsule wardrobe. I've been following that. And I'm actually really inspired by that. I, Do need to refresh my wardrobe because I haven't gone shopping since I got pregnant, but I'm definitely going to try to apply a capsule wardrobe method just to simplify my life. We're going to take a short break and when we get back, we're going to talk about the women's strikes.
0: And we're back to Women Who Misbehave. And today we're going to talk about International Women's Day and also the women's strike. So I didn't know this until a few years ago, Linda, but International Women's Day, it's actually a worldwide event and it's been celebrated since the early 1900s. And so it has a lot of history around um, labor and union organizing um, around that time. Also, when a lot of women were trying to get the right to vote. Um, Even here in the U.S. where we didn't get the right to vote till 1920. Mm -hmm. So it hasn't even been 100 years. Yeah. I think that always gives me perspective. Yeah, definitely. Um, So it's recognized on March 8th. And it's not really affiliated with any particular group, but it does bring together governments and women's organizations. So that's why I'm sure a lot of you saw posts just about International Women's Day but also posts about the women's strike. And what happened is that this year, um, the group that put together the Women's March that happened earlier this year, they also proposed a strike. But the movement isn't just here in the U.S. There was actually women across the world in 40 countries that Some went on strike and some took just action and went to the streets to demonstrate on this day. Just because of everything that's happening here in the U.S. and around the world, I think the day became also about actually taking taking action and going to the streets and going on strike. That wasn't actually a new concept. That was actually more of going back to what the original day was about. You know, it wasn't just about like saying nice things about women, but it was actually about, like, taking action and, like, being part of a political movement. I didn't realize that. That's important, and I know that's a little bit of what you wanted to talk about, right? Tell us what's some of the history of yeah. of striking and taking action in this way.
1: I came across a story that I never heard about in Iceland In 1975, they had a women's day off. So similar to like a strike, they didn't call it a strike. They called it a women's day off because they didn't want to come off as being an aggressive group of women. It was a demonstration where 90% of women participated. That 90% is what really struck me. I heard this story before the day without the immigrant strike, and it really moved me because I found this story to be extremely powerful The reason they took action is because they were frustrated because other countries in the Nordics were progressing with women's rights and they were kind of lagging. So they didn't go to work. They didn't do housework. They didn't take care of the children. So no cooking, no
0: nothing. And that's similar to the day without women and kind of what the proposals were here in the U.S. for this year, which was if you can, don't go to work. And if you can, don't do, I think, all the unpaid work that... A lot of women do in their homes and for their families. So I think there was definitely some similarities. Do
1: you know how many women participated in this?
0: I haven't seen any numbers as of this recording.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Not 90%. A lot of men had to stay home because their children were too small to like bring to work. But a lot of children did end up going to work with their fathers. There's actually stories of when they read the news in the radio stations that that day you could hear the children playing in the background. Sausage sold out of every shop in town because that was the only thing that men knew how to cook. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Sounds like me. (laughs) And I mean, it went as far as bank executives had to be the bank tellers for the day, which I thought was pretty crazy. Like they were really having to pick up for all of the work that the women did, which made a really significant impact. It did paralyze the country. And then five years later, they were the very first country to democratically elect the first woman president. And get this, she was a single mom. Wow. This happened in 1980. She was in power for 16 years. Two out of the three elections, no one opposed her. There's a story about a boy that watched Ronald Reagan become president in Iceland. And he said, he can't be president, he's a man.
0: And that's the power for boys and for girls of being able to see women in these positions of power. That it really changes their own perceptions of of their place in the world. And so for little girls, I'm sure it had an effect where they felt like they could assume positions of power. So what's happened in Iceland since then? Well,
1: just like you mentioned, it developed a strong sense of confidence for women, so much so that they are the majority of skilled professionals are women. And they have laws in place for equality, which don't necessarily protect women, they actually protect men. This is what I think is fascinating to me. I mean, there's so many pieces that are fascinating, like not only 90% of women participating, not only the first female president who was a single mother, but also this was that during the recession, the only place of power where men still dominated in Iceland was in financial institutions. During this recession, the financial institutions collapsed completely. completely within weeks. There was only one financial institution that remained in power, that remained open and servicing its people and protecting its money. And that was a bank that was founded by two women. And their philosophy was simple. It was, we are not going to buy what we don't understand. That was the only bank that remained open. And after that, they learned so many lessons and they did a lot of studies on testosterone and what happens when you have something that is fully dominated by men and there's a lot of testosterone. It actually builds overconfidence
0: and it leads to risky decision making. Can you go give that tip to everybody, all our friends in Washington?
1: I'm just, by this story
0: this is a really interesting case study so we're gonna link to some of the pieces that linda read to learn more about this we really want to encourage you to study this and i think the point isn't that we want a society run entirely by women we don't but i think we want to raise consciousness about the difference that it makes to have women in positions of power to have spaces where key decisions are being made by men and women. My particular belief is that we both bring significant things to the table. Absolutely. And I think there's also a recognition and I saw some things on social media you know people being against the strike and people saying that they were questioning why women who were possibly low income or barely surviving were being asked to not go to work. I think it's important. I thank you Linda for bringing this up and talking about this because I think sometimes in our lifetimes we haven't had situations where where we felt like we needed to take this type of action. But I think there's a really strong history that most of the big changes that have happened in society have been because people took action they they went to the streets they did things that were uncomfortable like maybe taking a day off work which i know linda did that for the day without an immigrant and you actually sent an email that you shared about what you told your employers it's important that we kind of have that have that understanding of history and really studying what these movements have done you know Movement is why we have an eight-hour workday. Movement is why we have laws that protect children from not having to work. Because in the early 1900s, children were working in factories and industry and coal mines because there wasn't laws to protect And I think from an economic standpoint, it's also important to understand that even here in the U.S., although we have a lot of privilege and we have a lot of benefits, white women make 75 to the cents, I think it's 77 now, to the dollar of what a man makes. But Latinas make 58 cents to the dollar of what a white man makes. Wow. So I think even though we have the perception of freedom and choice, Mm -hmm. you know, if I have to choose between staying home with my baby Or having to go back to work because we don't have paid maternity leave. Do I really have a choice? Right. Or do I have the perception of choice? If I can't leave my job because I can't afford to pay for health insurance, I can't buy health insurance, do I really have a choice? Right. And so one of the critiques of the march was that, you know, it was for privileged women who could afford to take off work. So one of the things they did with the Day Without Women or the, the strike that was organized here for the U.S. was that they said, if you can't take the day off work, then wear red in solidarity mm-hmm. or only shop at women-owned businesses. So there was options for you to do other things and take other action. And, and I think for me, given everything that's going on, I, I want to be supportive of every. Action that's being taken place, absolutely. Um, because I am, I, I assume what happened in Iceland was that they didn't go from zero participation in politics or movements to ninety percent. Like it's something that has to build. And one of the things I think we always, Linda and I always like to talk about is like, we're all on a different learning curve and on a different level of of comfort when it comes to participating. So, you know, I'll I'll say this. I got into it with somebody on Facebook, which, (laughs) you know, it never ends well, does it? But in this case, I said, you know, I want to be encouraging of people to get involved. Yeah. Um, And I think this history is so important because it tells us like, this is what these movements can do. Yes. If we let them actually take off. Yes. There isn't going to be a perfect movement. There isn't going to be perfect feminism. So I think this history is so important for us to to know and, and understand and really study. I have to say that I didn't participate on
1: Wednesday. I wish I could have participated. I have clients Mm -hmm. and both of my clients are women. The two days that I dedicate to my clients, I took one day off because I wasn't feeling well. I took the other day off because I was at We All Grow. And then before that, I took another day off. So I had really, these last three weeks, I had really utilized a lot of my time to take care of personal things. And I just genuinely couldn't. I needed to go in and I needed to show up. The work that I am doing is for the Latino community. Mm -hmm. There's deadlines that I had to hit. And there's a part of me that even as I say this, I feel like, am I making excuses? Because I know how important this is. I look back on the Iceland and looking at 90% of women that participated.
0: Yeah. And I think for me, I I put something up on Instagram about how I do recognize my you know my immense privilege you know I'm self-employed at the moment and I I work with female women of color clients you know and I recognize that that's a privilege not all women have so I think to your point like you know, I think on the day without immigrants, I there was actually things that I needed to do until I couldn't participate. Right. And so I think that's what's important is to be encouraging and create that space where like, you know what, you can't today, I'll go today, but I'm going to wear red and I'm going to share. it. I think a lot of what, what's happening right now and one of the reasons why we wanted to start this podcast is to do something called consciousness raising, mm-hmm. which is, you know, maybe you can take the day off, but this... A Day Without Women forced you to think about how often am I supporting women-owned businesses Mm -hmm. or businesses owned by people of color? Mm -hmm. You know, how is my work either contributing to helping my community or taking away? And even if you can't take action right away, I'm not saying like, oh my God, change your entire life. But even if it's asking, if it's forcing you to think about these issues in a different way, because for a lot of time it felt like we were, things were good and we didn't have to think about it. It's true so I think even if we're just kind of getting to a point where we're becoming more aware of like this is what we're doing with our dollars this is who we're supporting this is the statement that we're making I think that in itself made the women's strike a valuable effort because it was forcing us to think and confront these issues right how am I stepping out of my comfort zone or do I have beliefs but I'm not really doing anything about it and maybe I should be and what can I do and where do I start and I think if we see other people around us bashing the efforts it almost deflates us before we even get started this is a tough topic. I was called out by a white woman who I perceive to be more privileged. I think we should maybe I should say what do we mean when we say the word privilege, right? Yes. Like what is, what does that mean? So what does that mean to you, Linda, when I if I tell you, oh my privilege, what does that mean?
1: Um for me, privilege I almost have to compare myself to the way my mom was raised, you know, where Mm -hmm. she was raised in a rancho. She was working by the time she was three years old. I didn't have to encounter or endure what she had to go through. My life is more privileged when I, you know, I'm a child and I can focus on school and play and things like that. But there's different levels of privilege, which I think is something that we should address. So, I mean, there's privilege because you're lighter skinned. Mm-hmm. Even if
0: you're a Latina. Even if you're a Latina. And I think there's privilege if you went to college, if you had both parents in your home, mm-hmm. if you never had to deal with food insecurity or not knowing where your next meal was going to come from, if you always had shelter. And I think there's things that maybe we don't recognize gave us a certain type of advantage in life. But if we really reflect on people who didn't have that, then it it doesn't. So this woman was essentially calling me out because I was advocating not for women to strike, but for women to not bash the effort because they were giving space for people to participate in different ways. And, um... You know, she told me that she grew up low income. I said something that, you know, I didn't make this up. I read this, but I wrote it down because it struck me so much. And it said, striking is not a privilege. Privilege is not having to strike. I just want to, like, think about that really quick. Can you just say that one more time? Striking is not a privilege. Privilege is not having to strike. Thank you. So when this, you know, woman who, who I know and we do have similar values and we do align politically in many ways... But she grew up in um, a very poverty-stricken part of the United States. And then I thought about the family who, you know, on they were on their way to school and, and the father was taken away. And that happened a few miles down from where I live. I know a lot of families where I live here in East Los Angeles are scared that they're going to get taken away, that ICE is coming to their house. And so I think about those families and I feel like We can't afford not to take action in any kind of way. We can't afford to not raise consciousness in people, in all people. So I think if you are privileged and you can't afford to take it off or you can't afford to like not shop or whatever it is, then you do it. And whatever platforms you have, you use them to encourage other people to learn more and join the movement not bash them because they're either not taking enough action or they're taking too much action, mm-hmm. which demonstrates that they're privileged. And if you think about everything that's going on politically, this isn't the time for us to be arguing within ourselves about like, you know, you're not the perfect activist. I want to read this phrase from a piece that I wrote that I'll link to. And it says, if you do critique, realize from jump that you may be underestimating the work itself or the complexity of the situation. How many times have you been involved with something that had all sorts of angles?" goals stories that deserve to be understood in their own right this is definitely the case with the women's strike how do we work our way out of these like really small pockets where we're arguing within ourselves right and i think that's what this conversation for me with this woman illustrated how there's a lot more work to be done even among those of us who think alike that's so true and it's so
1: heartbreaking at the same time i'm like processing it <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it's a lot to process. Let us know what you guys think and what your yeah. thoughts were about the strike. There was a lot of energy around the Women's March in Mm -hmm. January and Linda and I you know we talked about how we didn't feel like there was that same level of of excitement so what the Women's March organization is doing is that they actually have several actions that they've already planned throughout the year so I think one of our efforts will be to share those actions and also a lot of other big and small ways that you can get involved and I just want to say that we do
1: have another uh, similar strike coming up which is uh, May 1st Mm -hmm. for a day without an immigrant that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be even bigger so that's just something to keep
0: in mind and that march is actually actually been happening every year yeah um it's just always varied in size depending on what's what's going on so i think it's uh again participating whenever we can and then one of the things i like to talk about is that some of these actions can be taken to the streets and some of it is personal maybe it's even reflecting on how things are run in your household and you know having difficult conversations not difficult but having conversations with your partner about the division of labor and, you know, reflecting on, on the personal. I think the political is personal and the personal is political as well. Yeah. And, um, to your point about Iceland, like what happened when women started doing all the unpaid work, Mm -hmm. you know, the work of running the household that a lot of, a lot of women do in their homes and, and what is the value of that? And I think whether we work from home or we don't work from home, Let me say that again. All women work. Women with children definitely have labor to do. The labor of raising children. So I think it's reflecting on that work and the value it brings to society.
1: Yeah, we need a tax break for women that
0: stay at home. Definitely. There was a study they did a while ago, and they quantified all the work that a woman does when she is out of the labor force. But in terms of child care, like if, if a man or a person were to hire child care and somebody to clean their home and somebody to manage their finances, it would cost like up to $120,000. Boom. Because if you think about it, women... And men, I'm not going to assume women are the only ones doing this, but like running the home, it's kind of like your own CEO. Absolutely. Right now, I'm kind of failing. That's another topic,
1: right? (laughs) My staff didn't show up.
0: I hate when my staff doesn't show up. (laughs) And, and, you know, that's another conversation, right? Like, I have a partner who does a lot. Like, we share responsibilities. There isn't anything that he can do that I can't do. And I have a mom who helps out a lot. I have a mother-in-law who takes the, the children. And so, I think it's an interesting conversation. And I think this is a good time for us to, at the very least, examine... How are these issues translated into our personal life This was a very heavy topic It was I think we're going to take a break And we're back So we had issues Linda and I had to take some deep breaths Yes uh, To process everything that we discussed Because uh, it's a really It's a really heavy topic Um But it's important. And if you have any questions about anything that we said or there's something you want to dive deeper in or would like for us to dive deeper in, um, always, always let us know this space is for you and we want to... Um, bring you guys along on the journey of of learning and also learning how to have these conversations. I was just telling Betsy during break that
1: I think a lot of the times we feel like we should have an opinion right away, especially when dealing with all of these new issues and new topics that we're diving into. And I don't think it's necessarily like that. Like you need to take some time, really think about it, and formulate your own opinion and your own thoughts. So I just want to say thank you, Betsy, for. Spitting some
0: truth. Thank you, and and I am trying to grapple with a lot of um, feelings around this, just because this feels like it feels like a lot of these issues, especially around immigration, have been very heavy mm-hmm. um, in in here in Los Angeles and in our in our community. And so it's been hard for me to even navigate people who I feel are not experiencing or not as close to it as we are, or communities that are not under direct attack. Right. You know, because I feel like. When it was said that they're going to start putting out a list of crimes committed by immigrants, that felt to me like very personal. So there is a part of me that's like, how dare you bash any kind of movement when it's not your community that is under attack? But I also understand that we have to give space for everyone's voices and everyone's opinion so it's it's a it's a really it's it's a really weird dichotomy i think I, i want us to end the conversation and i want to read something from this piece by kelly hayes and the name of her piece is on strike critiques and beating all the meaning out of the word privilege and so we'll link to this piece but she said i wonder if people would have condemned the strikes and boycotts of the last century Actions that are now well-celebrated in history books and if in movement spaces today, despite the fact that they centered participation on those who could only enact a particular tactic, which was boycotting or striking or marching down the streets. I wonder if these people even read such histories, including the history of International Women's Day. Do the people launching angry think pieces about the strike understand that this day is rooted in a labor strike? There's ways to become involved without skipping a paid day of work. And if you didn't know that, then there's probably a lot more that you need to learn about. And I think that's the key, right? It's like, let's learn more about this history. Because even, you know, I studied political science in college. And I'll tell you that I don't remember us covering International Women's History Day and what the context was. Yeah, And so I think that's it. It's like understanding that history and understanding the context of so many rights and privileges Mm -hmm. that we've had because people spoke out in different ways. And sometimes I'll say it, it was privileged women. And I think that's one of the divisions that we have when we talk about feminism, that a lot of times it was rich white women who were at the forefront and sometimes they ignored other women of color, not sometimes, they did ignore women of color and they ignored African-American women and they ignored women who were part of the lesbian community. And so I think now that's why we've come to this point. We want to make the movement inclusive for everybody. Absolutely. But it's kind of like you and I. When you bring together women who are different, even if they're aligned, there's going to be points of tension. There's going to be things to negotiate and there's going to be things to discuss. Yeah and i want to welcome us all to be in that space and be in and be in that like muck and in that difficult conversation but being aligned that we have a bigger Agenda. A bigger agenda. Yeah,
1: and work it through. Yeah. Did you
0: guys catch that, that Betsy and I have tensions? When we approach these angles from a different lens and from a different yeah. viewpoint, yeah, I think there is going to be like inevitable like things to discuss or things to talk out. We're
1: strong women, you know?
0: When I was younger, I was
1: involved in a women's organization in Orange County, and I was temporarily made vice president. I kind of laugh at it because it's kind of comical. I think it was their way of like uplifting me, but it was all older women, fifties, late fifties. And they would argue at the table. I mean, they would battle it out. And my mentor at the time was like, isn't this great? You're getting to hear some of the most opinionated women who will not back down from what they believe. Isn't this great? And at first I was like, this is kind of chaotic, this is kind of crazy. But then I realized like, wow, this is dope. And at that point, I I knew I wanted to surround myself with women that are gonna make me sharper, not women that are gonna agree with everything I say and, you know, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. No, no, this is the way I feel, this is the way you feel. Like, let's try to understand why we both feel this way and come to a different conclusion, right, than what we started with prior to having the discussion.
0: I don't know, I think it's pretty cool. And I think in politics, there's always this thing, right, well, you don't discuss religion or politics, and that's always been something that has been repeated. And I really disagree with that because I think religion and politics strike a chord at our fundamental values. Yeah, it's true. And we need to have those conversations, even if they're uncomfortable. Otherwise, how do we move our society forward? How do we come to an agreement on whether or not we're a country that believes that only people who have money should have health care? Or if we're a country that believes that everybody has a right to have health care? And if you think about it, those issues are tied to our spiritual beliefs, our religious beliefs, if, yeah. we, if we have them, and tied to our political beliefs. And yes. so I think if i want to encourage anything is start pushing your comfort level into having those conversations because i think that's what we've lost we've entrenched ourselves we're all kind of in our corners and we don't want to talk to each other Mm -hmm. but really the change happens when we make those compromises boom process that we're gonna take a break and we'll be back with our recurring segment current issues Welcome back to Current Issues. Our theme this month was to pay it forward. And so what we're going to do this week for this segment is we're going to give you a political action. And then we're going to give you a spiritual action that you can take for the week. Linda, do you want to start us off?
1: The action that you can participate in this week is something really simple. It's making a, a yes or a no decision. There's things we want to do, and there's things we don't want to do, and we sort of sit indecisively because we feel like in an indecisive space, we're not hurting anything or moving towards anything. It's it's a safe space. So what I'd like to propose is to take action on something you want to do or let go of something you don't want to do. Because when you're sitting in a space of indecisiveness, all you're doing is creating confusion for yourself. Just move towards a yes or a no. There's never a right or a wrong answer. If something doesn't work out the way you expected it to work out, then just understand that it's a simple lesson learned. So the action is to remove any confusion out of your life. Say yes or no to
0: any decisions that you have pending in your life. So what if I make a yes decision and then I still feel a little bit of uneasiness about it? Is that a sign that I made the wrong decision? No, that's actually
1: a really good question because we do face levels of being uncomfortable and that's why you stay in the indecisive space because you don't want to push your boundaries and feel uncomfortable. Just like we just talked about the political and the religious like. Speaking about those things and not hiding in your corner.
0: I was feeling uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have to We have to push through that. We have to break through those walls. But I think at the core, it's really understanding. Yes, do you want to do this? Yes.
0: Okay, you do. Take action towards doing it. No. Okay, release it and let it go. But what if I don't know? That I'm a Gemini and I think that that is very symptomatic of my sign because there's always dual... It's almost like there's dual tensions within me all the time. And so sometimes I feel like, yes, but if I say yes, then I then I'm doing it. And if I say no, then I'm not then I'm not doing it. That's because you're comfortable
1: in your space of indecisiveness. It's the safest place for you.
0: Oh, So that's what I'm saying. So you
1: have to make the decision of going yes or no. And know before you make that decision that it is okay if it doesn't work out. There's a lesson that you're going to learn. And at the end of that lesson, you're going to achieve what you really wanted to generate. You'll have your hard direction of
0: where you need to go. And if it's something I can't take back. Betsy! (laughs) I, well, welcome to my welcome to my brain I, I, so no, this is great this so is great. i'll say it so we had a different wedding venue and then
1: i was gonna say okay, that
0: so that so hold on so then it was it was like the first venue was totally do it yourself and um bring in your own vendors and that sounded like a really cool idea because i do i like to plan events But then with everything going on with work for him and for me, it it became apparent that there wasn't going to be a lot of time. So then we went to a different venue where they basically do everything for you, but it costs you. And so we were at this venue and it was like two very different visions of the wedding. It was like DIY wedding or this more like banquet hall type of wedding. And I was like, I I, I can exist in... Either one of these spaces. Sure. So we were in that we were in that moment and we you know we told the gentleman we we saw everything, everything was beautiful, we really liked it. Josh gave me the the spiel of why it should be a no, and then he gave me the spiel of why it should be a yes. And so then we made the decision that yes, we were gonna go with that venue, even though we had this other venue. And then last night I had a moment and I was like, Are you sure we did the right thing? Like, I don't know. So that's just kind of how my mind Works like I always feel like if I release something, I'm giving up something, right? And like I want it all. Yeah. So I think that the wedding decision illustrated that the indecisiveness. Yeah.
1: No, I think this is really good. I think um it's a good it's a good exercise. Go ahead, practice with your wedding. No, I'm just kidding.
0: I know, right? <laughs> Thousands of dollars later. That's why I was like, what if I can't take it back? <laughs> that deposit is non refundable. The yeah. one in the first place was non refundable, and I was like. All right. It's
1: all part of learning how to listen to your intuition and deciphering what is the intuition and
0: what is the ego.
1: Because those are two voices. Yeah, I still don't
0: know sometimes. Yeah,
1: I think the most important thing here to do is every time you hear those voices of doubt or those voices of reason or your intuition, stop and pay attention and listen to what they sound like. Analyze it as if you're stepping out of your own self. If it's a place of like, am I going to lose something? I want it all That could potentially be your ego. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that's your ego.
0: I think I just heard my mom telling me, like, you shouldn't spend that much money at a wedding.
1: Oh, let me tell you. My ego always comes disguised as my mom's voice.
0: (laughs) It's, like, the best way I can attack myself. Yeah. There was a part of me that, like, could hear my mom being at the wedding like you know, like judging me like why are you spending like money on a wedding and so sometimes I can't tell what are the voices and what are they sure. what are they saying. But now as I'm talking it through with you, I, I feel better about the decision. That day
1: I don't wanna see event planner Betsy. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I, I think we made the right decision. Speaking of privilege, right? Talking about weddings. <laughs> and I think that's an interesting conversation for me as well. Like I thought about people who are struggling and then I thought of myself having this like total first world problem. Maybe I have issues of shame. Yeah. But I was like, maybe internally I have absorbed these feelings of like, you don't deserve this because you already live with this person. You already had a child. Like you did things the wrong way. Are those feelings still buried deep inside me? It's a really cruel form of abuse. Think of how mean
1: you're being to yourself by telling yourself you don't deserve this wedding. You do deserve the wedding. You do. And you shouldn't feel bad about that at all. I want to cry now. A big lesson that I learned in my life is I deserve to have money. I deserve to be in a place of privilege. What's the point of doing all of this work if we're not going to bask in the beauty of the fight? We deserve these things. You deserve this wedding. You deserve to not have to coordinate your own wedding. It's okay. Thank you.
0: (laughs) That's, that's my, uh, Current issue. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like sometimes Lynn and I have these moments where we're thinking about the same thing. Or like she has a solution to a situation that I was encountering, um, which is what happened right now with this yes or no moment that I went through that with the wedding this week Mm -hmm. and with um, the column that I chose to, to release for someone else.
1: Yeah. You released the column. You gained clarity on the wedding. Bask in that. Don't push that blessing that you just gave yourself away. You just gave yourself a gift. Bask in that gift. Thank you.
0: Now that I've taken us completely off topic, I wanted to share one quick resource. So here in the state of California, our Secretary of State, which is in charge of all things related to elections and how we run our elections, every state kind of gets to decide how they register people to vote, what laws they put in place for people to vote or be able to vote. One of the things that happened here in California is that um, we now have a system where you can pre-register to vote at 16 um, or 17 to vote at 18. So if you go to -to registertovote.ca.gov, you can pre-register, and on your 18th birthday, they'll automatically register you and start sending you your ballot and sending you information about elections. So if you have younger siblings, cousins, children, or anybody in your family, I think this is a really cool way to start building that culture we had 11 percent participation in the municipal elections here in la county which is actually um a record low i'm shocked so what i want to say to all of us is i know things seem really shitty in washington or we're hearing news let's resist the urge to completely disengage let's resist the urge of tuning everything out because we don't want to hear the bad news. Because locally, there was a lot of things to help homeless people Mm -hmm. to think about the future of housing here in Los Angeles, which is an issue that impacts all of us, whether we're renters or homeowners. So A lot of these local issues are really important. They impact our daily lives. Who picks up our trash, when it gets picked up, how much we pay, our water, power. I think one way we can help is by encouraging our younger brothers and sisters or, you know, people in our lives to at least take that action of voting or at least learning about the issues. And we'll link to that in the show notes. Well, I think that's it, Linda.
1: Hope it wasn't too heavy, guys.
0: It was heavy for me. It was heavy, huh? It was heavy. Okay, but
1: it's stuff we need to learn.
0: Stuff we need to talk about. We're going to continue to dig deep on issues happening around our country, happening locally, and just issues in our lives and the intersection of all these.
1: Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Follow us on Instagram at Women Who Misbehave. Also, check out our website, WomenWhoMisbehave.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us, leave us a review. We'll be back next Sunday with another episode.
0: Yeah.